today's program made possible by patrons like you. Welcome to where we celebrate music from the movies. From the golden age to present day, we've got it all covered. We talk to those in the entertainment industry and find out about their favorite scores. You found the podcast, What's the Score? I'm your host, Frank R. Wilson. So sit back, relax, grab a popcorn, and let's see what we'll be hearing today. Recognize that music? You probably do, because it's one of the most famous pieces of music, quite frankly, ever written. And it's identified with a character, but there's no doubt that out of the six actors that have played that character, this music is and this version of it is really only tied to one actor. I'm talking about Sir Sean Connery, who sadly passed away here recently. Sean had an illustrious career, uh, over 90 credits. In the early years, from uh, 56 to 1962, he did mostly British TV and things like that, but his first major break in film, believe it or not, came from a Disney movie, Darby O'Gill and the Little People, in 1959. And it was that appearance that was noticed by the wife of one of the producers of the Bond films. When she saw Sean Connery on screen in that movie, she instantly said, there's our James Bond. And in 1962, he did land the role of Bond, and that's when his career really started to take off. Now, while he may be best known as James Bond, he spent 30-plus years basically running away from it. He was proud of his other accomplishments and his other roles, and he did have quite a variety of roles and a really fruitful career. His lists of credits anyone would be proud of with films like The Hill, The Wind and the Lion, Man Who Would Be King, Robin and Marion, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, The Rock, and goodness, many, many more. And of course, his Oscar-winning performance in The Untouchables. Now, you look at that list and you can tell he played a variety of characters and he did it really well. So today, as a tribute, we're going to play some film music from some of his most famous films and roles as a way to just kind of bring back some really great memories of what a tremendous actor this gentleman was. And we're going to start off where basically his film career started off. Darby O'Gill and the Little People was his uh, first kind of like major Hollywood film. And uh, it was his first trip to America. In fact, I recently learned he had never been there before, and that's where, believe it or not, even though it takes place in Ireland, this was where the, it was filmed in the United States. And, oddly enough, believe it or not, Sean, for the first time in his life, had to sing before a camera. He said he was really nervous about it. In fact, it, nothing would come out on the first couple of takes. He was so nervous about it. But eventually he got it out. And I think you'll hear here that actually Sean has a pretty good voice. <laughs> 
So let's take a listen and uh, go back on memory lane to 1959, and here's uh, Sean's rendition of a song called My Irish Girl, okay? So let's uh, sit back and relax and enjoy the singing voice of Sean Connery. Have you ever seen the seagulls flying over heather? All the crimson sails in Galway Bay, the fishermen on Oh, the earth is filled with beauty, and it's gathered all together in the form and face and dainty grace of a pretty Irish girl. Oh, she is my dear, my darling one, her eyes so sparkling, full of fun. No other, no other can match the likes of her. She is my dear, my darling one, my smiling and beguiling one. I love the ground she walks upon, my darling Irish girl. When the dew is on the hayrick and every drop of brew, when the geese are full of blarney and the thrush is singing gaily, and standing the doorway is a pretty Irish girl. Oh, she is my dear, my darling one, her eyes so sparkling full of fun. No other, no other can match the likes of her. She is my dear, my darling one, my smiling and beguiling one. I love the ground she walks upon, my pretty Irish girl. Oh, she is my dear, my darling one, her eyes so sparkling full of fun. No other, no other can match the likes of her. Oh, he is my tender, my darling one, his eyes so sparkling full of fun. No other, no other can match the likes of him. She is my dear, my darling one, my smiling and beguiling one. I love the ground she walks upon, my darling Irish girl. We fast forward to uh, 1962. This was the year that really put Sean Connery on the map. Again, as a result of his appearance on Darby O'Gill and Cubby Broccoli's wife taking notice, he ultimately got the role of James Bond in the first Bond film, Dr. No. We could talk for a long time about what went on behind the scenes of uh, the creation of the James Bond theme. It's uh, credited to Monty Norman, and I think most experts would agree that Monty Norman is probably responsible, certainly for the guitar riff. But the rest of it, quite frankly, was because of John Barry who was brought in at the last minute to uh, rearrange the theme. Now, if you need proof of this, if you listen during the movie, you can hear the guitar riff, not played by guitar, but played by horns. So you know that he wrote that part of it. But the rest of it, I think most people would agree, was probably largely contributed by John Barry, but he never got credit for it. So Monty Norman is credited with having written the theme, and that's fine. But no one can deny 
the contribution that John Barry made, and certainly no one can deny the fact that this theme is iconic in film. It has to be certainly in the top five most famous themes ever, musical themes ever written for film. It's instantly recognizable all around the world. No question about it. And it certainly was strongly attached to Sean Connery, and certainly this version of it was strongly attached to Sean Connery from the first film. Sit back and relax and enjoy the original recording of the James Bond theme, written by Monty Norman and played by the John Barry Seven and Orchestra. While Dr. No kind of started the James Bond phenomenon, it really didn't catch worldwide attention until Goldfinger. The first two films, Dr. No and From Us Real Love, were terrific films in their own right. But the filmmakers, I think, really found the magic formula, all the filmmakers, in Goldfinger. John Barry himself said that he always felt that this was the style of music that really kind of came together and defined the Bond sound in Goldfinger, that he kind of figured out exactly what it was that the films needed. Uh, so, yeah, I think his words were it consolidated the style. And indeed it did. It was hugely popular. The Goldfinger soundtrack al album actually replaced the Beatles' number one album, and Goldfinger became the number one album for a short time. That's how popular it was. People may forget that. But this soundtrack, this film, was hugely popular. As was the title song, sung by uh, Shirley Bassey. And the story goes, whether or not it's true or not, I don't know, that on the last note, that Barry kept pushing her to carry it longer and longer. 
So she went behind... Uh, she went into a separate room or something like that and apparently removed her bra so that she would be freer to uh, hit that last note and hold it. I don't know if that's just lore or if it's really true, but it always makes for an interesting story, doesn't it? Anyway, it's a spectacular song and one that will live on forever and certainly, again, really enhanced Connery's career and certainly his image with this popular song. Sit back and enjoy it. Just one of the absolute classics of American cinema. British cinema, I guess I should say, to be more accurate. With Goldfinger, my goodness, uh, he was elevated to super international superstar. It was phenomenal, and people who weren't around in the 60s have no idea how hugely popular Goldfinger, and for that matter, the character of James Bond was, and Sean Connery. 
And as a result, his career just skyrocketed. And there were a lot of wonderful films that followed in his, the wake of Goldfinger, in addition to several other Bond films as well. And then, of course, uh, as we all know, he uh, famously said he wasn't coming back. After You Only Live Twice, he said, I've, I've had it. That could be a whole story within itself. The uh, story goes that he was so upset with the deal that Dean Martin had gotten for the Matt Helm series, not only in terms of salary, but a percentage of the gross, that uh, he figured he wasn't being treated fairly, and so he was said, I was done. That was Sean Connery. I mean, he he didn't suffer fools, and if he he figured his way was the, the way it needed to be, and if it wasn't, that was fine. He'd walk. Some ways you have to admire that about the man. He was his own man. He did come back for one more film and then another one, which we'll talk about later. But uh, by and large, he wanted to leave James Bond in its wake and, and do other things, and other things he did do. Plenty of really fabulous films leading up to uh, the mid-70s where we're going to kick off with... Uh, we're going to actually do two different cues here from two different movies that were favorites, not only of his fans, but also of Sir Sean Connery himself. Uh, the first one being The Wind and the Lion, and the other one being The Man Who Would Be King. Two terrific scores written by fabulous composers that most of my listeners will know very well, Jerry Goldsmith and Maurice Jarre. Let's just listen to these back-to-back. Again, the first one will be the main theme from The Wind and the Lion, and then the next one will be the theme from The Man Who Would Be King. Sit back, relax, and enjoy.
The 70s continued to be a uh, prolific time in uh, Connery's filmography. A lot of films were very successful during this period, and one in particular that was a favorite of mine is a uh, film called Robin and Marion. It was uh, intended to be a, uh, I guess you could say, a continuation story of as uh, Robin was aging and getting older, and so was Marion. It's a story about them uh, as they had grown apart and how they came back together. Uh, it's it's a gritty and realistic film in terms of what times must have been like then, but it's also you know, terribly romantic as well. Uh, some great performances, not only by uh, by Connery himself, but uh, Robert Shaw as the Sheriff of Nottingham, and Audrey Hepburn made a rare return to films by playing Marion in this. The original score was uh, rejected. For some reason, the filmmakers just felt that it didn't work, and subsequently over the past few years, some of that music has leaked out, and you know, I'm a little biased, but I didn't think it quite worked either. Not that it wasn't good music, it was. It just didn't seem to fit. So, To the Rescue was, as my listeners know, my favorite composer, John Barry, who came in at the last moment and uh, composed a sweeping and highly romantic score that I think really worked well for the film and really enhanced it. It really helped bring out uh, everything about the film, all the emotions, it worked incredibly well. What we're going to play for you is a more kind of like a, it's not really action music, but it is the the main theme for Robin and Marion, but played in a, several different ways. Uh, I believe the cue is called The Ride to Sherwood. I think you'll enjoy it, and it does give you a nice flavor and feel of what the entire score was like. So here's a cue from the film Robin and Marion, and it's written by John Barry.
with Robin and Marion in the mid-1970s that he followed it up with, you know, great film after great film, and quite a variety when you think about it. Different genres, different types of characters. It was quite varied. We're talking about movies like A Bridge Too Far, Great Train Robbery, Meteor, Outland, even Time Bandits. All these were Connery films that he did in the late 70s up to the early 80s. Which leads us to our next cue, which is kind of interesting in its own right. As I mentioned earlier in the program, Connery had always made it very clear, never again am I going to do a James Bond movie. Well, guess what? <laughs> never came up, <laughs> and he decided to go ahead and do another Bond movie. Now, it would take way too long to explain how this happened, because it's not part of the official series of Bond films that were done by Eon Productions and producer Cubby Broccoli. This was a separate project, and again, you can look up the history on it, but it was basically a remake of Thunderball, which was the only film they could really make. And Connery was interested in, in doing it, but also very interested in having his hand on every part of the film, whether it be the script or the photography, locations, whatever. And his hand is all throughout this film, for better, or in some cases, people's minds uh, for worse. And he also had his hand, uh, I think, on the music as well, from what I recall. I, I don't know if John Barry was approached about it or not. I think rumor has it that he was, but I have every reason to believe that even if he was offered it, and I'm sure out of uh, loyalty to the Bond family and Bond producers, that he probably would have declined it. So Michel Legrand came on to do the uh, to do the score and also to write the song. Um, most Bond fans, uh, the music, uh, well, uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it really worked all that well. And there are parts of it I kind of like. The title song, actually, I do kind of like. Uh, and that's what we're going to play here. It's sung by Lanny Hall, who happened to be the wife of uh, one of the people that plays on the record, uh, Herb Albert. The song was written by uh, Michelle Legrand. I think Marilyn and Alan Bergman wrote the lyrics. And, like the movie is called, the song is called Never Say Never Again. Say never again, never, never say never again. 
The 80s marked more than just uh, Sean Connery's return to the role of James Bond. He continued to take on many different roles, and in fact, one in particular was a proud moment for Sean, and for basically a reward, I think, for a body of work, but also for a particular performance. The film I'm talking about is The Untouchables, and the reward? An Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. You could tell he was beaming after having won that. It was important to him. And like I say, sometimes sometimes people are rewarded for one individual film, and then sometimes you can kind of tell when it's a reward for a body of work. And I like to think that that's kind of what this was. His performance was excellent, probably deserving of an Oscar. I don't recall the competition that he had, but it was a standout performance and a great film with a fabulous score by the maestro Ennio Morricone. And so we're going to play from that the, uh, the end titles music from The Untouchables, although, you know, the main titles are really fabulous, too, if you want to hear something really unique and different. Uh, but in the interest of time, I think I'm just going to play the end titles. So have a listen. This is the end titles from the film The Untouchables, the Oscar-winning uh, performance by Sean Connery in this movie, and uh, a great end titles piece by Ennio Morricone.
After his uh, Oscar-winning performance in The Untouchables, there were many great films that followed uh, Presidio, even Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, where he played Indy's father, even though there was less than 10 years' age difference between him and Harrison Ford. It worked. The Hunt for an October was another great film he was in. And then came The Russia House. The Russia House probably is one of my favorite Jerry Goldsmith scores. Just love it. And it really did a great job with establishing the mood for the film. I'm going to play what uh, is, the cue is called The Family Arrives. I don't know, but I think it's the end credits. Not sure. But it's a great piece of music by Jerry Goldsmith. Really helps really helps tell the story of the film, I think, as well. So enjoy this. This is, uh, again, from the film The Russia House. The cue is called The Family Arrives, and it's written by the maestro, Jerry Goldsmith.
As we enter the 1990s, as his career is now well over 30 years, he continued and still was going strong into the 1990s. After Russia House, we were talking about films like uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, where he was uncredited, but he played King Richard. Medicine Man, which was fascinating. He had a whole different look for that. First Night, Dragonheart. The Rock, which a lot of people say was his final James Bond film. And then came, in the late 90s, a, uh, a film called Playing by Heart. Didn't do particularly well at the box office. I liked it. It was a it was a neat story, and Sean Connery played a a man who was dying, and he had a love of uh, jazz, especially what is sometimes referred to as a West Coast jazz style, something in the uh, something along the uh, means of uh, like Chet Baker is what he liked. He liked Chet Baker and that type of music. And so when it came time to compose the score, the director instantly thought of John Barry, who could could reproduce that style of music, that so-called West Coast jazz. And he did. He did it brilliantly. Sad thing was, unfortunately, most of the score that he wrote wasn't used in the actual film. Parts of it were. And in particular, probably the most important part of the film was at the very end. And this cue that we're going to play is what plays at the end of the film and really helps bring all the uh, different stories together. Spoiler alert. <laughs> but um, it's, oh, it's just fabulous. And it's, it's, it's classic Barry, and it's very much in the, in the vein of the West Coast jazz style. Uh, featured on this also is a great trumpet player who at the time wasn't as well known but is certainly well known now. Uh, his name is Chris Bodie. And I remember seeing a concert that John Barry had put on in London in uh, the late 90s. Uh, part of it was actually to promote the soundtrack for this film because he actually ended up releasing the entire score even though it wasn't used in the film. And Chris Bodie was there to play a couple of cues from the, from the film and he was just magnificent. I still sometimes get goosebumps just thinking about his performance that night. Anyway, this performance is just as good. I think you'll enjoy it. This is from the film called Playing by Heart. It's, uh, the cue is called Vows Renewed, and it's written by John Barry.
While this hardly will do justice to Sir Sean Connery's incredible career, hopefully in some small way we've been able to kind of take you down memory lane and remember this man's great performances and incredible career that spanned over several decades. Quite an amazing, quite an amazing career and an amazing man who uh, has left his mark on cinema forever no doubt about it, as has the music, which is, of course, what this program is all about. So I hope you've enjoyed kind of listening to some of these cues from uh, films that Sean Connery made, and that it's kind of put a little smile on your face when you remember some of the great performances that he did. I'd also like to take this opportunity before we close to thank our patrons. You've been uh, absolutely terrific, and I can't thank you enough for your support of the program. 
greatly encourage others of you who enjoy the program to please consider becoming a patron of What's the Score. It's at patreon.com. And uh, I really encourage you to do that if you can. Once again, my, uh, my thanks to my patrons and for all you listeners. I hope you've enjoyed the program uh, as much as I've enjoyed putting it together for you. And with that, I guess there's only one thing left to say, and that's simply this. My name is Frank R. Wilson. My time's up. I thank you for yours. Thanks for listening to What's the Score.